0: Good morning and welcome to the gathering church. My name is John Mark Roadwine. I'm the lead pastor. And as I brought my table out here today, a bunch of parts fell off of it. And so, if things collapse during the message, I'm just going to keep going and pretend like I don't even see it. Hey guys, we're glad you're here. Welcome. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I, got, I feel like I, it's, a, it's a real obligation for me to to acknowledge this. I'm not really a football person. I like Clemson football, and I watch Clemson football, but I still don't really understand a lot about football. Honestly, I think football is a little bit boring. I don't like sports very much. I like plot-driven dramas, and, and so that's just kind of who I am as a person. Now that I've alienated some of you, I want you to know also that I think that uh, as I watch the game tonight, which I always do because I'm American, and I feel like I'm required to. Um, I like to eat fried food a lot, and so I do appreciate the Super Bowl Sunday comes with a lot of fried food in its nature. But, uh, but tonight it's the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I used to live a stone's throw away from Levi's Stadium, and so I'll be rooting for the 49ers tonight. I'm excited. I think they're going to win. I think they won about four times last year. I don't know for sure, but so I'm excited to see if they could win the big game tonight. That's really all I'm going to say about football today. I thought about trying to write a lot about football, but I don't know enough about football to talk for 30 minutes about it. And so that's kind of, that, that's kind of my Super Bowl Sunday spiel. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Switchbacks. Switchbacks, and, and if you don't know what a switchback is, um, sometimes a mountain is so steep that to put a road or a hiking trail straight up it would be absolutely insane. And so in order to make these mountains crossable, passable, what they do is they cut this zigzag pattern into the mountain that slowly works its way up after one hard turn after another. And in this series, I want to talk a little bit about switchbacks. You see, I love hiking. Hiking is one of my favorite Things that I do, and um, I love to get out and be out in the mountains, but I do not like hiking uphill. I don't like it at all because it makes my heart beat really fast. Do you know what I'm talking? It makes like my I can feel my heart in my neck sometimes when I'm hiking uphill. It it makes me feel out of breath. I don't like feeling tired. I'm not like a big exerciser, and I don't like doing things that make me feel real tired. And so hiking uphill is a tough thing. And but I do find that I hike uphill a lot. In fact, uh, once when I lived in California. I signed up to uh, do a hiking life group. And uh, in our hiking life group, the very first uh, hiking outing that we went on was to a mountain called Cloud's Rest in Yosemite National Park. Now, the name of the mountain, Cloud's Rest, should have been an indicator to the amount of uphill I was going to have to travel on this day. But I didn't even, I didn't look it up. I didn't think about it. I just thought this is going to be fun. Let's do this thing. And what I learned on our journey there was that this this was a seven-mile round-trip hike. Seven miles, it's not far, that's not bad. It's three and a half miles up and then three and a half miles back down. And I thought, that's great news. This is going to be easy, no problem. But what I learned was that this hike would start at about 6,000 foot of elevation and make its way up to about 10,000 foot of elevation. And in three and a half miles, we'd be climbing about 4,000 feet, which is a lot of elevation to climb in that distance. And so we get out there and we start going and for like the first mile and a half, it's flat, which at first I think this is great. But then I think we've still got a lot of uphill to go. This is probably bad news. Well, It wasn't long until we came up to this hillside that was essentially a cliff. It looked like a goat trail, like something goats were walking up. And it was this long series of switchbacks that went on for about a mile and a half straight up the side of this mountain. And I remember as I was climbing those series of switchbacks, every time we had to make that hard turn to turn onto another trail, I remember thinking this is it for me. Like I've had a good run. I was, I was like 25 years old, and I thought, you know, a t- quarter of a century, this has been a good life so far. And I, I, we got about halfway up. I'm, once, at one point, I sat down on this trail. I didn't even look for like a nice rock. I just sat down in the trail, just right there. And, and I just thought, that, you know, this, I've gone as far as I can go. This is pretty nice, and, and I'm going to enjoy it right here from this spot. And we pressed on, and we got up to the top, and what I learned... That day was that Cloud's Rest is one of the absolute best views you can get in all of Yosemite National Park. and We worked hard and the path to get there was difficult. But once we made our way up, we were able to see the entire Yosemite Valley below us spread out. An incredible view of Half Dome and honestly the best Instagram profile picture that I will ever have in my entire life. You see, I wanted to call this series Switchbacks because I think a lot of times our stories, our journeys feel like we are just constantly moving uphill and like it's a never-ending series of hard right turns that keep going further and further up the mountain. And so what I want to do is look at a few character studies from the Bible, just a few people who, whose life looked like a series of switchbacks. And uh, what I want us to learn over the course of this series, is that regardless of what kind of difficult journey you may be on, what we find is that often at the end of switchbacks is the greatest payoff, is the best part of the story, is something that was worth the travel and worth the difficulty. And so that's our idea for this series. Today I want to talk about Joseph, one of my very favorite Character studies from the Old Testament is the story of Joseph that appears in Genesis between chapters 37 and 42. Joseph, uh, if you grew up in Sunday school, Joseph is the guy that had the coat of many colors. In fact, I remember growing up learning about Joseph and the coat of many colors colors. I was in Miss Callahan's kindergarten class in Sunday school twice, actually. I liked it so much, I went another time. And and I remember that like the absolute, absolute best part of Miss Callahan's Sunday school class was we would act out the Bible stories. She would do them on the felt board sometimes, but some days on a good day, we would act them out. And the best was when we got to do Joseph. Because when you got to do Joseph, we got to wear this beautiful Rainbow striped coat made me feel like I was on top of the world. And what I learned in Ms. Callahan's Sunday school class was that the story of Joseph was a story of favor. It was a story of favor. In the beginning, Joseph gets this coat of many colors as a sign of favor from his father. And and the the end of the story is that Joseph becomes a ruler over all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh had more power than him. He was this great hero and a legendary ruler. It was a story of a father's favor and a story of God's favor. But what's interesting as we study this story of favor is all the hard parts that come in the middle. Let's take a look at Joseph's story today and 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 look at his life and then I want to look at what we can learn uh if Joseph were sitting here today what he would want us to learn from his life first Joseph didn't get the start that he expected he didn't get the beginning that he thought he would and and let's look at the story in Genesis chapter 37 verse 18 starting in verse 18 it says Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here's what you should know about Joseph. Joseph was a dreamer. He was a young man. He was about 17 right here, and he had a lot of ambition for his life. He he believed that God was going to do great things in and through him. In fact, God had given him some visions and some dreams, and in those dreams, he would see different objects that represented his brothers bowing down before him. So what Joseph believed was that one day he would be in a position of influence and in a position of leadership over his family. And that was kind of where his thoughts were, was that even though he was born in position 11 of 12 sons, which which meant that Joseph shouldn't have had a lot going for him, which meant that Joseph didn't have a lot ahead of him, that one day, even though he was born in a low position, he would take a high position. And when he had these dreams... He right away decided the best course of action would be to tell his brothers about them over and over again. Hey, you know, one day you're going to bow before me. I saw it in a dream. His brothers didn't like that. They didn't like these dreams. They didn't like the future that Joseph believed was waiting for him. And so they plotted to kill him. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Classic older brothers, am I right? (laughs) Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue them from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, the reasonable Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take them back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, a sign of favor from his father. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, the meal that Joseph had just brought them, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on now, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Judah is a good brother, am I right? Verse 28. And the Midianite merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And so Joseph is beaten up by his own brothers and sold into slavery. It's not the beginning he expected. He thought that his life was on a path to influence and leadership and position and power. And here he is sitting at the bottom of a well. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had some false starts in your own life. Maybe you know how it feels to have a dream for your life. And maybe you know what that moment felt like for Joseph when he watched his brothers accept 20 shekels from those Ishmaelites. Maybe you know what it feels like to have all your plans change. In an instant, this is an ancient story that took place in a culture so different than the one that we lived in, and yet people have always been the same. Maybe you know what it feels like to watch the future that you imagined you would have, to, to think of the beginning that you thought you would have and, and see it all shift in just a moment. Maybe things didn't start the way that you thought they would, that you hoped they would. Maybe you had a dream for your life, And you've watched it change or disappear or evaporate like a vapor. Joseph was sold into slavery. He he, he thought for sure he must have felt abandoned. He must have felt alone. He must have thought back to those nights where he would have those dreams of his brothers bowing before him. And thought, what about the future God promised me? So Joseph is sold into slavery. He's sold to a man named Potiphar in Egypt. Potiphar was a the captain of the royal guard. He was a, he was a man of position and power and prominence in the Egyptian government. And Joseph went into his household as a slave, but as a slave, Joseph gave it everything that he got. He, he prospered, and he was able to attain some prominence as a slave for Potiphar. Potiphar trusted him. Potiphar relied on him. Potiphar gave him more and more responsibility as time went on. But then things went sideways again. So one day, Potiphar's wife took a look at Joseph and decided that he looked yummy. So she made a pass at him. And Joseph turned her down. He did the right thing. Joseph did the right thing. Except it doesn't go well after. And what we can see in Joseph's life is that the right thing wasn't rewarded. The right thing wasn't rewarded. See, he, he goes in and, and Potiphar's wife, she, she says, Come on, Joseph, come here. You know, something... I'm trying to, trying to just stay appropriate. But she grabs his, his cloak and Joseph, he, he says, no way, I'm not doing this. And he just slips that cloak off and runs out of there as fast as he can. It was a good move. Guys, pay attention. This is a good move. He leaves his jacket in her hands and he's out of there. He's gone. But now she's got his jacket. And it says here in Genesis 39, verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So she comes on to Joseph and he just runs away. It was the right thing to do. Surely, with the favor that Joseph has received in his life, he, he's thinking this is the right thing. It's going to go the right way. It'll be rewarded. If you do the right thing, it's always rewarded, right? Isn't that the way it's supposed to go? If I make the right decisions, if I get on the right path, then God will, will smile upon me. Blessings will come my way. Everything's going to be all right, except sometimes it's not. Joseph did the right thing, and he ended up in jail for years. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you know what it feels like to have the right thing punished in your life. Maybe it was a matter of you just got, maybe not just one thing, but maybe you just felt like you got your life on the right track. You started to do the right things. You started to develop some discipline. You started to kick that old habit, or or find freedom from that sin, and and you really felt like things are going well. Surely God will give me blessing and favor as a result. But then the bottom falls out again, and it feels like the right thing isn't being rewarded. Instead of blessings, you got burdens, and it's hard when you land in that place, not to look up at the heavens and say, seriously, God, are you even paying attention? Why is this happening to me? Why does my life keep going like this? Why does it feel like I'm always going uphill? Where, where, where is my blessing? Where is my privilege? Where, what, what, shouldn't I be living a life of ease by now? I've been doing the right thing. Why isn't it being rewarded? And maybe that's how Joseph felt. Maybe that's how he should have felt. When he got dragged into that prison and thrown in there and locked up and it was dark and it was damp and just, just the day before things felt like even though he was a slave, maybe they were going well and maybe he still had a good future. And now once again, things are looking bad. And maybe, maybe it would have been fair for Joseph to say, God, are you even paying attention? Can you see me? Can you hear me? Are you watching? Are you listening? Do you care about me? Are you going to show up for me? Where are you? Joseph, his life just didn't go the way that he thought it was. And for 13 years, it seemed like one hard moment after another, one switch back after the next. It felt like, Every time he would move forward a little bit, he'd have to take two steps back. Maybe you can relate. Joseph's life goes this way for 13 years until one day it doesn't. And what we could see from this story about favor is that God's plan was better. That Joseph had a story for his life in mind, but God had a better story in mind. Joseph had a dream for his life. He had plans for his life, and none of it worked out the way that he imagined it would. But God's plan was bigger. In prison, Joseph interpreted somebody's dreams using a gift that God had given him to have insight into what people are dreaming about. Two years later, that person told Pharaoh about it when Pharaoh had a dream that he needed someone to interpret. Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, which was about a famine that was coming, And he offered some counsel on how to prepare for that famine. And Pharaoh responds in Genesis chapter 40, verse 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And Joseph felt called at a young age to be a leader. But in his mind, that meant leading his family, leading in the way that he had seen his father lead, leading in the way that the nomadic peoples around him were leading. But God had a bigger dream in mind. All that difficulty, all those hard days had been preparing him for this. All the time he spent as a slave, he was managing other people's affairs, managing the estate of Potiphar and and, and overseeing the work that Potiphar was responsible for. He was managing people in the prison. And it all equipped him to manage a country. God had a bigger plan in mind. I don't know what hard left turns you've had to make in your life. I don't know how many times things didn't go the way that you wanted them to. I don't know how many times you did the right thing, but still had to face challenges and unearned consequences. I don't know the story God is telling with your life, but I do believe he is telling a bigger story than even the one that you've imagined for yourself. I do believe that God is able, no matter what your circumstances are, to bring good from it. That if we trust in him, and if we're faithful and we keep doing what he's called us to do, no matter what, I know that the dreams he has for you are far better than anything you've ever imagined for yourself. And if, I, if Joseph was here with us today, I think he would say a couple different things to us. First, your beginning doesn't determine your ending. Your beginning doesn't determine your ending. The way that you started will, does not have to be the way that you finish. The circumstances that were given to you, the, the story that was began for you, does not determine your present or your future. Just because you didn't get the beginning you wanted does not determine your ending. By more than one metric, Joseph should, have ended up, should never have ended up where he did. He was Jewish and his people were nomadic. He was born the 11th son of 12, so he had no birthright. And by 17, he was a slave. But he finished life as the leader of Egypt, credited with saving the country from a long season of famine. Where you begin does not determine where you finish. Maybe you didn't get the start you wanted in life Maybe you thought that that has defined you. Maybe that has de- defined you and and the decisions that you've made and the way that you've defined yourself or who you decided you are is a result of where you began. Maybe you've struggled with addictions or or mindsets or things that you received from the family that you came from. And you said, well, that's who my dad was and, and who his dad was. And so that's who I am too. Or, or, or this is the life that I, I was given. I can't get out of it. I can't change it. This is who I am and who I'll always be. And maybe that's been something that's held you back, or or that you feel like has defined you all of your life. Maybe you've spent your whole life being a victim because you were at some point. Joseph was sold into slavery, but right out of the gate, he decided he was going to be more than that. Joseph's life was taken from him outside of his control. And so he decided to control what he could control, and to still pursue the very best version of whatever his life was going to look like in that season. I don't know about you, but if this happened to me, if my own family sold me into slavery, I'd probably feel pretty justified in throwing the world's greatest pity party, but not Joseph. In fact, it says in chapter 39 that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. This is a story about favor. I bet it didn't always feel like a story about favor. I bet in the moments when Joseph was walking a long road, being tied up and led by camels into a life of slavery, that it didn't feel like a story of favor. I bet when Joseph went to bed at night in whatever quarters or chambers were assigned to the slaves of Potiphar's house, it didn't feel like a story of favor. But it says, Joseph had the Lord, on, had, the Lord was with Joseph. And so Potiphar gave him favor and blessed everything he did. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of this Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph decided that instead of just moping and doing whatever he had to do to get by, he was going to give it everything that he had. He was going to use every gift that God gave him to the best of his ability. He was going to trust that God is good and that if if God is good, then this is going to be good as well. And Joseph said, I'm just going to give this all that I've got. And so God blessed it. But God didn't put the blessing on Joseph, God put the blessing on Potiphar. And so it's a story of favor. And Joseph's got the favor of God, and now he's got the favor of his master. But all of the good things that he's doing are reflecting on his owner, on Potiphar. I bet it didn't feel like a story of favor then. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge and did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. Even though the bottom fell out and he didn't get the beginning he wanted, God was with him, and so he prospered. He kept his head up, and he gave it everything he had. And if he was going to be a slave, he was going to be a great slave. Zechariah writes to the people of Israel in Zechariah 4.10, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work began. You, you You were created with a job to do. You were given a purpose the moment that you were formed. And in fact, it says in Philippians, he says, believing in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God was doing a work in Joseph. And the prophet says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God is doing a work in you. And even if it's not the beginning you want, the work is starting. Lean into it. Don't let it define you and make the most of it. Maybe you had a beginning that you didn't like and it set you on a, on, on a difficult path. Maybe you've allowed the beginning that you had to, d- to direct the decisions that you've made throughout your life. And over and over, you think, well, I can't be something good or I can't be something different or something better because this was the start that I had. But If you have let your beginning define you for all of your life, you don't have to do that anymore. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you get new beginnings. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. The psalmist says his mercies are new every morning. Every single day is a new beginning. If you didn't get the beginning you wanted, you get a new one as soon as you wake up tomorrow morning. The old is gone, the new is here. Whatever was true about you or about your circumstances then doesn't have to be true about you now. Joseph began as a slave and finished as a king. Those experiences can be the greatest teachers in your life, but they do not have to define the direction of your life, which is why it's important for us to learn from every wrong turn. Learn from every wrong turn. I think Joseph would say, every hard season of your life is a teaching season. It's a season for us to learn about who we are and who God is. A season for us to learn different, uh, different skills or, or things that we didn't ever think we needed to learn. It's a season for us to be refined, to have the parts of us that need to die stripped away from us. I'm certain that although he had dreams about leading people one day, it was hard for Joseph to see how he would get there from where all these wrong turns had taken him. But Joseph chose to make the most of it and learn from every single one of those situations. And because of that, when Joseph did get his break and had his moment with the Pharaoh, he was able to offer a plan to manage the food supply through a season of famine, not just because of the insight that was given to him from the Holy Spirit, but because he had spent the last 13 years managing the property of others and he had learned a lot along the way. I'm sure it was hard to see that when he was being carried, I'm sure it was hard to see that there was something to learn when he was being carried to prison for doing the right thing. Maybe you've gone through trial after trial and it's hard to see how any good could ever come out of it. But we need to let those seasons be the great Teachers in your life. Isaiah 48 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. I shared a story not too long ago about a season in the Coast Guard where it felt like the bottom fell out of my life. I was in the Coast Guard for nine years. That's my favorite way to start a story. And I was in the, uh, when I first joined the Coast Guard, I was not a follower of Jesus. And for the first three years that I was in the Coast Guard, I was not a follower of Jesus. And so I fell hard into the military lifestyle that a lot of 19-year-old guys do. I was partying hard, and I was living hard, and I was taking big risks. And, and I was a big part of all the military time-honored traditions, like the time-honored tradition of hazing. In fact, I was great at it. And I was so good at it that I learned when I became a follower of Jesus that I had caused a lot of hurt to a lot of people. And so when I became a follower of Jesus, I worked hard to change everything about who I had been. Well, one of the things that I fixated myself on was when new guys would come to our unit, when young men would come, instead of making them feel ostracized and like they were less than and forcing them to learn how to come up the hard way the way I did, and instead of taking them out into port calls and showing them how to party like a sailor, instead what I began to dedicate myself to was looking after these young guys when they would come on our boat. I made it one of my primary goals to make them feel valued and wanted, to help them feel protected and seen. When we would pull into port calls, it was one of my mission to try to keep as many of them out of the seedy places as I could. And I felt like I I was making amends for the bad things that I had done. And I had given my life to ministry. I felt like God was saying, I want you to come and be a full-time in in ministry. And so I I began to study um, religion. I began to get my degree and all of these things kind of moving my life in a totally new direction. And then one day I was brought into a legal office and they said, hey, you're being court-martialed for some hazing that took place two and a half years ago. And it felt like the bottom was falling out on my life. I didn't understand it. I thought, God, why am I being punished? I've been doing the right thing. You're supposed to forgive me for all this stuff. Your word says that I've been made whiter than snow. I don't feel whiter than snow. I feel like yellow snow right now. This is not fair. Why is this happening? I can't understand it. I'm so mad about it. And I went through this whole year process of uh, meeting with lawyers and making plans for what would happen if I went to the brig and wondering if I could still be a pastor if I had uh, time in the brig or, or what a, kind of a prison tattoo I would get when I got there and had all these big decisions to make. And what happened was I, I, I was being refined the way that silver or gold are refined The way that you refine those precious metals is you melt them down and remove the impurities. I was being tried in a furnace of affliction. You see, I still had, even though I I had changed a lot about my life, I was still very arrogant, prideful. I was a troublemaker. Instead of, when I had to make a decision, instead of asking myself, is this wise, I would always ask myself, is this gonna be funny? And if the answer was, it was gonna be funny, I was gonna go that direction as much as I could. I was still doing a lot of childish things, but God was calling me forward into manhood. I got to the end of that year and didn't really recognize myself anymore. I changed so much, grown so much. I had to learn about consequences and and that every decision that we make has consequences. I had to learn about leadership. I had to learn what it really meant to... uh, To care for somebody. I had parts of my personality that needed to die absolutely stripped away from me. I got to the other side of that and sat in a, a courtroom all day long during the trial listening to everybody argue about whether or not I should be punished. And finally, at the end of the day, the judge had me stand up and he said, son, don't do any more stupid things. And he banged his gavel and told me to go home. And that was kind of the end of it. They dropped most of the charges. I got demoted and, and, and moved on with my life. But that year of my life shaped me, changed me, made me who I am, or set me on a path to discovering who I could be. I'll tell you that story. Because we are going to go through seasons of difficulty. Sometimes there are things that are totally out of our control that we don't deserve that shouldn't be happening to us. Sometimes there are seasons of consequences that are happening to us because of the decisions we've made and the choices we've made. And it can be so hard in those seasons to understand why we are where we are, how we're going to go, where we feel like we're called to go while we're here in this season, But these are the greatest teachers for us to learn how to be who we were created to be. Take these seasons of consequences, whether they're consequences caused by you or consequences caused by somebody else, and let them shape you into who you were made to be. With Joseph... Even as a teenager, he knew he was destined for leadership, but like so many young men destined to be leaders, he struggled with pride. And the wrong turns and unfair circumstances he would face through 13 years stripped that pride away so that he could be the best leader he could be when he finally stepped into his purpose. Let every season of consequence be a teacher for you. Ask God to refine you and to shape you through every trial into the best version of yourself. Give it your best and no matter what, surrender to him and it will prepare you more fully for the purpose he is moving you to- towards. And finally, trust that he is moving you towards a purpose. And number three is trust the story that God is writing. Maybe you're at a place in your story right now where all you can see are consequences. All you can see is uphill. It's just a constant set of switchbacks. It feels like wrong turns and trials every day and it's not fair and it's not right. You don't know how it could ever be good. And it's true that the world that we live in is broken and it's full of broken people. And maybe the difficult seasons that you've walked through, maybe they don't make any sense. You know, I don't believe that every bad thing that happens to you was caused by God. I don't believe that he's up there pulling the strings on every bad decision that somebody made on your behalf. That every time it feels like the bottom is falling out and, and the walls are caving in, and and why is this happening? I don't think that he's the one behind all of it. I don't. I think that we live in a broken world. And there's broken people. And sometimes we're the ones making the bad choices that lead us into these places, and sometimes other people are making these choices for us. And it doesn't feel fair. And it doesn't feel okay. And, and it's hard to know how it could ever be good again. How can any good come out of this? How could any good come from the other side of a season like this? Or maybe Joseph felt like, how could any good come from a life like this? This isn't a season. It's over a decade of time has gone by and it's not getting any better. How could it ever be good? But regardless of what kind of season you're in, whether it was your fault or somebody else's or nobody's fault, if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. There's good on the other side for you. He cares for you. Your God is a compassionate and gracious God. He's full of mercy. And listen, This is a story of favor. Even if it doesn't feel like a story of favor, even if it's hard to see the favor, even if it feels like favor is the furthest thing from your life, if you you just feel like, "Oh, oh, your story isn't a story of favor, it's a story of failure. It's a story of everything going wrong that could go wrong. But in the very beginning of Joseph's story, in chapter one, he gets a coat wrapped around him as if to say, this is a story of favor. And then everything goes wrong for over a decade. Everything that could go wrong does go wrong. The story isn't told the way he thought it would be told. He had a dream. He said, I'm going to lead my family one day. God said, no, I want you to lead a nation one day. I want you to save thousands of people, not dozens of people. I want you to bring more people closer to me than you could have ever done on your own. This isn't a story of your failures, Joseph. It's a story of my favor. The favor of God. Let me walk you through some of God's promises for you today. Malachi 3 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. He just doesn't change. He was good yesterday. He's good today. He'll be good tomorrow. When he describes himself, he says, I am a compassionate and gracious. God, maintaining love to thousands. He is good. He is love. In John, 1 John four sixteen, it says, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We rely on the love that he has for us. He cares for you. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is who he is. And it says, I, the Lord, do not change. That's why you've not been destroyed. That's why you're protected. Even though it feels like you're in a season of great pain, it will be good again. There is good on the other side of it. He can see what we can't see. We only get one page at a time, one sentence at a time, but God sees the whole story. He can see every piece of it in light of eternity. He is good. He is compassionate. He's merciful. He is love, and we can trust him. Proverbs 3, verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. My understanding says, why? Why is this happening? How could God use me? I'm such a screw up. How could he use me? My beginning was too rough. There is no way this could end any better. No, lean not on your own understanding. In him, submit all, in your, all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Feels like nothing but switchbacks. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Am I ever getting anywhere? Submit to him. Lean on him. Be like Joseph. If I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be a great slave. I'm going to do everything the very best that I can. And he'll straighten that path out. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You have a calling on your life. You have a job to do. He didn't just create you to just randomly wander through life. No, He's got a purpose in mind for you. He made you the way that He made you so that you could do something only you can do. He needs you, He's got a dream for you. And you got to trust that He is good and that he's working good no matter your circumstances, whether or not you cost it, whether or not you have control over it, whether or not it's your consequences or the consequences of others, God knows how to bring good out of everything that is bad. And if it is not good yet, he is not done yet. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I just want to offer you some hope this morning. I don't know what part of the story you're in. Maybe, maybe you've been able to look back and see all the great things God's done, the good that he's been able to bring out of every bad day. Or maybe you're in the bad day. Or, or maybe the bad day's just starting. I don't know. But I just want you to have hope. Know that he's for you, that he's with you, that he's got a dream for you, that he can make good for you and that he will comfort you in every step of the way. Isaiah 41, 10. For do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand cares for you. He's there for you. He wants to bring you through it. He wants to support you and comfort you. He's got blessing for you and favor for you. It exists no matter what your beginning was, no matter what your middle is. The end is already set. It's established and he gets the victory. We can learn a lot from the story of Joseph. But the main thing, the main thing that I think he would want us to know is that this is a story about favor. And what it looks like. Favor doesn't always look like everything going right for you all the time. Favor doesn't always look like an easy life. We're promised almost the opposite of that that life will not be easy, but that it will be good. If you're in here this morning and maybe you got a bad start, or maybe you're in a hard middle, or, or maybe you've gone through it and you've been going through it on your own, and honestly, you're tired and you're not sure how much further you go. Maybe you're like I was on that hiking trip. You're just sitting down in the middle of the trail saying, I'm done. This is as far as I could go. The view is okay from here, I guess. If you're in here and that's you, I need you to know that there is a very simple pathway you can take. The Bible lays it out over and over again that you could know God and you could find freedom from the things that have held you back. Find freedom from the mindsets that have broken you down. Find freedom from the lies you believe. You could discover the purpose that he has created you with. And you could live and make a difference in that purpose and experience blessing and favor in your life. And the first step is just to know him. It's, a, it's, it's all you have to do is accept the gift that he offered you on that cross. It's just make a decision to start following him with your life. If that's you, I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer. And this prayer is kind of like a wedding vow. I'll tell you that the easiest day of my marriage was the wedding day. That it, there was a lot to do after that. But that was the day that it became official. That was the day it all started. And this prayer is like that vow. It's the day that it starts. If you're ready to make that commitment, every head bowed, every eye closed, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I need your goodness. I need your right hand. I need you to carry me through this season. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I believe in you, Lord. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do it by myself. I receive your sacrifice. And I give you everything that I am. Every moment from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.